You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The solar wind supply chain compromise may not have been an act of war, but it was certainly a very damaging espionage effort. The FBI, CISA, and ODNI are leading a whole-of-government response to the incident. Three companies have collaborated on a kill switch for the sunburst backdoor's initial command and control. HPE closes a zero-day in its SIM software. ODNI will delay its report on Chinese election influence ops. Thomas Etheridge from CrowdStrike on their Services Frontlines report. Our guest is Derek Mankey from Fortinet with 2021 Thread Insights. And of course, it wouldn't be the end of the year without some predictions. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, December 17th, 2020. The U.S. government and a large number of private organizations continue to assess the extent of the solar winds incident. The scope and extent of the damage are known to be large, but just how large and who specifically was affected remains under investigation. An op-ed by former U.S. Homeland Security Advisor Thomas Bossert probably has it right in saying that the breach is hard to overestimate. Bossert's assessment is worth quoting at some length. Quote, The Russians have had access to a considerable number of important and sensitive networks for six to nine months. The Russian SVR will surely have used its access to further exploit and gain administrative control over the networks it considered priority targets. For those targets, the hackers will have long ago moved past their entry point, covered their tracks, and gained what experts call persistent access, meaning the ability to infiltrate and control networks in a way that is hard to detect or remove. While the Russians did not have the time to gain complete control over every network they hacked, they most certainly did gain it over hundreds of them. It will take years to know for certain which networks the Russians control and which ones they just occupy. The logical conclusion is that we must act as if the Russian government has control of all the networks it has penetrated. But it is unclear what the Russians intend to do next. The access the Russians now enjoy could be used for far more than simply spying. Some of the congressional reaction to the sunburst backdoor and the presumed compromise of hundreds of U.S. networks has been overstated. 
Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat of Illinois, to take one example, has fulminated that Russia's exploitation of the vulnerability is an act of war. That's one point of view, but it's not widely shared, at least outside Capitol Hill. It's a very bad incident, but it isn't war. It's espionage, cyber espionage, and while espionage is damaging and hostile, it's not an act of war. So this isn't the cyber Pearl Harbor you're looking for. Should there be some appropriate and proportionate response? Sure. But a ranger battalion in the parking lot of Stardog's hot dog joint in South Moscow or a brace of tomahawks headed for the Moscow Ring Road? With all due respect to constitutionally specified congressional war powers, ladies and gents, have you taken leave of your senses? Probably not. Actually, of course not. And Senator Durbin was caught up in the tweet of the moment, but clarity is always a good thing. And one hopes that the Senate is clear that the solar wind supply chain compromise represents very serious espionage, but not an act of war against the United States. As Bossert points out, it's possible that the access Cozy Bear gained to U.S. systems could be used for far more than simply spying, but it doesn't appear so far that it has been so used. It's espionage. A joint statement yesterday from the U.S. FBI, CISA, and ODNI says that the government has invoked Presidential Policy Directive 41 to establish a cyber unified coordination group to coordinate a whole-of-government response to the Russian cyber operation that exploited SolarWinds Orion platform. The FBI has the lead for threat response. It's investigating for purposes of attribution, pursuit, and disruption of the threat actors. It's presently doing so by engaging with known and suspected victims. CISA, the Cyberspace and Infrastructure Security Agency, has the lead for asset response activities. Emergency Directive 21-01 was its first step in helping contain and remediate the damage. And the Office of the Director of National Intelligence is coordinating the intelligence community's collection and analysis of the incident. According to Krebs on Security, FireEye, Microsoft, and GoDaddy cooperated on a response to the SolarWinds compromise by establishing a kill switch to disable sunburst backdoor instances still beaconing to their original domain. As FireEye said in a widely quoted statement, quote, This actor moved quickly to establish additional persistent mechanisms to access victim networks beyond the sunburst backdoor, end quote. So the kill switch, while a welcome contribution, is very far from representing a thorough remediation, and the three companies understand that. Leaping Computer has a summary of what's publicly available so far. The participants have been tight-lipped about the details. Hewlett-Packard Enterprise has disclosed a zero-day remote code execution vulnerability in its Systems Insight Manager. The company is working on a patch, Bleeping Computer says, but in the meantime has released mitigations for the Windows version of the software. Trend Micro's zero-day initiative reported the issue to HPE. It's tracked as CVE-2020-7200, and it affects HPE Systems Insight Manager 7.6.x. The mitigations HPE has published all involve disabling the software's federated search feature. Bloomberg reports that the U.S. Director of National Intelligence said yesterday that the intelligence community will not meet tomorrow's deadline to report to Congress about Chinese influence operations in the 2020 election season. That there were attempts seems clear enough, but how extensive they were 
how much prominence they should be given remains a matter of disagreement among the agencies in the intelligence community. And we continue to hear predictions. Security companies foresee an enduring shift to remote work, initially driven by the COVID-19 pandemic, but subsequently taking on a momentum of its own. That shift is one organizations remain imperfectly prepared to handle, Digital Shadows thinks. Checkpoint's assessment is blunter. The pandemic amounts to a security pandemic as well as a biological one. There's also considerable agreement about the effects of newly arrived technology. The Bangkok Post quotes its local Fortinet authorities, quote, By leveraging intelligent edge, 5G-enabled devices, and advanced computing power, this creates a wave of new and advanced threats of an unprecedented speed and scale, end quote. Digital Shadows projects existing technological trends into the cybercriminal future and sees more botnets and more adversarial machine learning. And Restore Privacy offers some advice about securing online during the holiday season, a sad review of the usual scams, non-delivery, form jacking, fake shipping notifications, and so on. Do stay safe out there. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Derek Mankey is Chief of Security Insights and Global Threat Alliances with FortiGuard Labs, which is part of Fortinet. He joins us with thoughts on how the intelligent edge may increasingly be a target as we head into 2021. 
Uh, really, I, I look at it as the next leap forward from this evolution that we've had over the last 10 years, specifically with threats, uh, moving from mobile initially to the world of IoT and OT, operational technology, um, and now and now the edge. So you know, when I look at the edge, it, it's, it's positioning, uh, but it's also capability. Um, so obviously, you know, the world of IoT generally are a lot of these smaller devices, smaller footprints, where if we look at the intelligent edge, these are devices that have more compute power, uh, more connectivity, more access, authori- authorization, privilege, and more reach. Mm. So what are some of the security concerns there with, with, as this intelligent edge uh, develops? Yeah, absolutely. So anytime we have a new tool, anytime, it, the history has taught us this before several times. Uh, I think that anytime that we have a new tool and that we have new capability and functionality, security threats follow. And, uh, you know, attackers see this as, as a ripe opportunity. And, um, you know, we just have to look at um, how, how these tools can be weaponized uh, to, to understand what we're up against in the future. Are there potential advantages here as well to, to have these, these capabilities distributed? Is there a, an upside of, of, you know, not having all your eggs in one basket? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're already seeing that, you know, a relevant um, example right now is TrickBot. Uh, so, you know, this is something where, but by not being all, all the eggs in one basket, uh, these threats become much more resilient. Um, we've seen this before, even in the world of, of IoT and botnet takedown attempts. There's a lot of great activity, a lot of great, you know, partnerships that are happening out there in the industry, which is fantastic. And we need to do more of that. Um, but b- because of this technology, threats are becoming much more resilient as well. Right. So now it's, it's not just, hey, uh, you have, you know, a hundred domains that you have to take down because um, it's public access. These IoT devices are private access, and you can't. Just, it's much harder to go knocking on someone's door and say, "Hey, excuse me, um, you know, you've got a printer hosting uh, some pretty malicious stuff uh, in your house. Can, you should take that offline." It's much more tough to do that, and it's the same challenge with with Edge, but it's on a, a larger um, scale, as I said, because these Edge devices have more um, authorization uh, in general, more, more um, authentication authorization to these different APIs and, and quite a bit more power too. Well, Derek Mankey, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Thomas Etheridge. He's the Senior Vice President of Services at CrowdStrike, uh, Thomas, great to have you back. Um, I want to touch base with you today on the report that you all recently published 
this is your CrowdStrike Services Frontlines report. Um, let's go through some of the highlights together. What were some of the key things that you all reported on this time? Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you having me on again. Yes, this year uh, we produced yet another uh, annual Frontlines report highlighting uh, some of the activities we found from our investigations and service engagements. This year, the 2020 report uh, highlights a staggering increase in financially motivated threat actor activity. One of the key findings from the report this year was it, it's not just about ransomware and deploying ransomware for uh, financial gain. It was really about threat actors increasingly destroying, uh, exfilling, and threatening to leak some of that sensitive data uh, as they effectively tried to target larger ransomware payments. About 81% of the cases we worked on this year involved some form of uh, ransomware deployment or at least showed the precursor to a ransomware uh, type of activity. The remaining 19% included e-crime tactics such as point of sale intrusions, e-commerce website attacks, business email compromises, and uh, cryptocurrency mining. You know, I'm intrigued by this notion of the destruction of data and, and this extortion that, that you say, you know, you all have been tracking, which certainly we've, we've done a lot of reporting on. Um, I'm wondering, too, you know, there, there's this specter of um, not just destroying but altering data. And uh, it doesn't seem to me like we've really seen that come to pass, the, the corruption of data. Great point. Uh, I you're right. I think for most of the threat actor activity that we reported on in the Frontlines report and that we saw from an intelligence gathering perspective, the threat actors uh, this past year had such a huge volume of success in terms of compromising organizations' infrastructure, being able to monitor over a period of time and look for sensitive information, business impacting information, uh, and be able to either exfil that data or uh, encrypt uh, infrastructure for ransom made that operation kind of core to what they were doing. They were quick in, quick to deploy their tools and tactics, ransom uh, an organization, and if they were successful in doing so, uh, they would move on to the next organization. Um, we saw a lot of really fast movement by these threat actors this past year. Yeah, that's interesting. So what are the takeaways here in terms of the recommendations that you're making for the folks that you work with? What sort of stuff have you put together based on what you found in this report? There are several things, Dave. Uh, the first thing is that uh, in about 30% of the incident response engagements that we performed over the, the course of the year, 30% of those cases, the organization's uh, antivirus solution was either incorrectly configured did not have the appropriate prevention settings uh, set up or was not fully deployed across their environment. And that resulted in, in many cases, uh, an easier path for threat actors to compromise those solutions. Additionally, uh, those antivirus solutions failed to provide protection in 40% of the incidents we responded to in 2020. So really taking a look at the tooling that you're using for your uh, you know, solution for uh, preventions making sure it's configured properly, making sure it's a next-gen solution that leverages machine learning and AI, and then making sure that it's deployed fully across your environment. The second recommendation, Dave, was that CrowdStrike identified that 68% of the organizations we responded to experienced another intrusion attempt uh, after suffering their initial breach. 
it's really important to have a strategy around continuous monitoring and response. What we mean by that is that thinking of incident response as a one and done activity is no longer a viable and effective strategy for responding to incidents. It's critical to understand that threat actors are persistent. They will make multiple attempts, and if they're successful at making an attempt and extorting a ransom, for example, it's not uncommon to see that same organization potentially victimized again, either by the same threat actor or by a different threat actor. It's critical that organizations start to move to more of a continuous monitoring and response approach in order to defend against these high-velocity attacks. All right. Well, uh, interesting uh, insights for sure. Uh, Thomas Etheridge, uh, the report is the uh, CrowdStrike Services Frontlines Report. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. Save you time and keep you informed. It's the Uncola. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.